Iron Radio listeners. This is ironradio.org. I'm Robert Fortress Fortney, former editor at Muscle Mega International, former bodybuilder and strength enthusiast. And good morning, everyone. Charles Staley, creator of Escalating Density Training and author of Muscle Logic. Welcome aboard. Uh, this is Phil Stevens, competitive powerlifter, uh, strength coach, and founder of LiftForHope.org. Um, Going to kind of do things a bit different today and, and skip kind of the uh, the normal interview. Today, we, we kind of have somebody that I think most people are, are familiar with, um, Mark Ripto. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Appreciate you calling me about this. Oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the normal hoopla, like, you know, how'd you get into the field and this and that, what you got started with. And, uh, I don't know, let's just get caught up on, on what you've got going on right now. What's new in the uh, the life of Rip? Well, we've got uh, some big changes uh, on the horizon here starting uh, middle of January of next uh, here in a couple of months. We're going to be doing our own uh, seminar and certification. We have been working with CrossFit for two and a half, almost three years. Uh, doing a, a thing we call the basic barbell certification, and we're heading off in our own direction on that, and uh, going to be significantly significantly expanding the curriculum of the program and uh, increasing uh, the amount of material in it, and providing a rather thorough evaluation of the competency of uh, people in attendance. Uh, the thing will have uh, both a practical evaluation and an online written exam. Our plan right now is for a 10-question essay test that will pretty thoroughly evaluate the participants' command of the material. And I hope by doing this that we will we will fill in um, a niche in the market that I perceive is there, one uh, that... Uh, Screens for competence in the basic barbell lifts. Um, okay. You know, we've got uh, essentially no emphasis on that at all in the uh, uh, w- with the current uh, milieu of uh, certification organizations out there: uh, NSCA, ACSM, IDEA, AFA, ACE. All these It's just a, a you know, it's machine-based silliness and. Uh, we're trying to evaluate uh, everybody's basic understanding of barbell training, and we need a uh, uh, need a mechanism that we can do this in, and uh, we're going to just set it up on our own. Gotcha. So uh, that's we're doing that. We've got uh, you know I'm I'm uh, just tore out the the bathroom at my house. I'm, Busted my bathtub out. I'm trying to be able to shower. Can't get anybody to work. Can't get anybody to show up. I've got about a list here of about eight people that I've tried to hire to work. So there's no economic slowdown here in Wichita Falls. If any of you people that are listening are interested in moving to a place where there is apparently so much shit still to do that you can't get anybody to do it, then North Texas (laughs) is your place to move. Now, Rip, I just wanted to ask, because there are rumors uh, uh, all all over Facebook that these seminars are going to be held in a sweat lodge, and I just wanted to see if that was true or not. What's a sweat lodge? (laughs) 
Is that that oh, place yeah. where those guys died a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a bad idea. It'd weed out the the weenies, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I don't. I, we're not doing the sweat life. In fact, our first location is uh, Mike Manning's gym out in uh, Florida, in, in uh, Melbourne. It's Harbor City CrossFit. He's got a real good barbell club out there, and we've been anxious to to go out there and uh, and work with Mike for quite some time. And uh, he's invited us out, and that's going to be our inaugural. Uh, version of our basic, uh, what we're calling it, the Starting Strength Coach Certification. That's the official name of it, Starting Strength, starting strength Coach Certification. And uh, that's going to be the third week in January in uh, at Harbor City CrossFit. And uh, he will have that information up on his website. We are changing our websites around uh, to provide this information, we will uh, uh, have startingstrength.com is going to expand here in just a short while. And uh, there will be all the information available on that. It shouldn't be difficult to, to locate the the info for this stuff. So, uh, so essentially this is going to be, I guess, a certification for Generally, for any any coach or existing coach or trainer that's looking to expand their horizons in the barbell list, correct? We're hoping that there is a enough of a market for uh, something like this. I don't know, uh, Phil. The thing may fall flat on its ass. I'm prepared to admit <laughs> that it may fall on its ass, and that I may have just uh, committed a big tactical error in. Uh, doing this, but I don't think so. I think that uh, uh, at some point down the road here, six months, when people realize how uh, thoroughly we're evaluating competency, how uh, much material is in this certification, how it's all based on just biomechanical analysis and not my opinion, and uh, how uh, we are providing a, a service that literally no one else is uh, is doing at all. Yeah. No one really is providing a service that, that, that deconstructs all of the major barbell lifts down to their basic physical components and builds a method for, for doing them up out from the ground up. I think once people realize that, uh, and, uh, and they will pretty soon, uh, that our attendance will be back up to where it was for our CrossFit Basic Barbell Search. We've certified probably oh, 12, 1,300 people over the past couple of years, yeah. and there are enough people uh, in the market right now that have had our the previous version of this product. And uh, <clears throat> I think that word will get around, and I'm just real hopeful that uh, everyone appreciates that effort that we put into this and then the uh, additional material that will go into the, the new version of this. It's going to be a three-day uh, uh, seminar. Yes. We'll be going from not from 5 o'clock till 9 on Friday and then from 8 till 7 on Saturday and uh, 8 to 6 on Sunday. So it's a real long weekend. Yeah. And I've tried to, <clears throat> tried to model it on uh, – the format on USA Track and Fields Level 1 certification. 
I took that several years ago, and I was very impressed with the with the effort that that particular NGB had put into this educational program they've got. They did a great job. They had several extremely good presenters. John Bauman was there, several other guys that, uh, I mean, real authorities on this. And you got to hear them talk for two and a half really long days. And nobody in the room minded the length of the time because it was dense with information. That's why we were all there. And yeah. I hope that uh, we can uh, at least come up halfway to that level with our effort because they did a great job, and I think we're going to get a good job done as well. You had uh, mentioned recently you're getting a book out to the, to the printers. Is this in conjunction with this or something else? No, the the new book, uh, for those of you that look at our strengthmill.net Q&A, um, I have made a book out of the best of those postings. Um, Phil Hammerberg has been gracious enough to host us at strengthmill.net for the past oh, two years and about four months now. And uh, we've been doing a question and answer thing. I've been doing one over there for, for that length of time. And it has amassed uh, a huge amount of information. So what we've done is we've taken out all of the threads that uh, had a video link that obviously wouldn't work in a book. All the threads that were just utter gibberish, and there's a you know significant <laughs> number of those. Those of you that have looked at the board know that some of these idiots will, will just, you know, they're just. So I have to call some of that out. And that's the oh, best part, man. You know, well, it's something it is for the humor, and so we've kept some of the funny stuff like that in. <laughs> the funny stuff we we've tried to provide. So really what I've got is a big giant three hundred and eighty five page long toilet book. So that you <laughs> you can carry it in and I, I don't mean in terms of the as a source of wiping yeah. your butt, but I've I it's it is uh you know, digestible in either little small chunks or uh or uh, you know, as long as you want to read it big pieces so to speak, to yeah. use the scatological analogy. They uh <laughs> So uh, I mean, since I did go into the bathroom with this to begin with, so it's a it's a it's a big eight and a half by eleven format book. It's almost four hundred pages long. Some of the stuff in there is funny. There's a whole bunch of information uh, that is a result of the fact that that people have asked me extremely specific questions about their training, and that of course is something that you really can't deal with in a traditional textbook. We yeah. when when I did starting strength. Uh, basic barbell training, the second edition of that book, we put a lot of effort into trying to explain in detail the the method of the lifts, and uh, we got, you know, like 60 pages on how to do the squat, that sort of thing. And uh, and the book has done real well, but it didn't allow for, obviously, all the individualization that would be necessary at the coaching level of all that material. So people write into the Q&A, and uh, post their particular question about their particular problem they're having, and chances are somebody else is having that as well. So I get an opportunity to answer specific questions about uh, people's problems. And as a result, over two two years and four months, we've just accumulated a big, giant amount of data. And I said one day here in the office, you know, I'm I'm not going to type all this shit out for free. 
I mean, so yeah, I've been spending a hell of a bunch of time on this board, you know, and uh, so we decided to go ahead and put it together in a book, and I and I think that what we have produced is the first book in print that has been assembled out of a bulletin board post collection. Right. I, I we looked, and I don't think I'm you know probably wrong, but I we looked and I and checked and. There's not another book in print that has been assembled out of all of this stuff. And, of course, the first question on everybody's mind is, well, I can get the shit free on the web. Why would I buy your book? And I, to that, I'd have to reply, that's an excellent question. I don't know. <laughs> why we just, we're just sticking our toe in the water here. We might not sell 30 copies of the damn thing. Well, you know, the problem is it's hard to it's hard to be on the forum while you're on the toilet unless I mean if you have a laptop you can. That do it. is the best. That that's what I kept coming back to. Yeah. You know, people guys anyway. I don't know about women. Guys read on the pot, right? That's where we read. If there weren't toilets. Nobody'd know anything because we wouldn't get any reading done. Right? <laughs> so everybody well, likes to read on the pot. Here's a book you can carry in. It's easier than carrying your laptop in there because if you drop your laptop, you know, if you have to switch hands or something like that, you drop your laptop and you're in a seriously screwed up situation. So this book, I think, will fill um, at least that niche. And, and if you're looking on the website, you know, there's a whole bunch of information that really should not be there. Yeah, I mean, Rip, really, should, I should have uh, deleted. You know, you should, you should, you should have some sort of an accompanying product, like uh, some kind of like a, a stand for the book that you can, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like otherwise, it's, that way you have a hands-free kind of experience. Well, I mean, the the most obvious thing that logically suggests itself is a is a starting strength toilet paper stand. Yes. And starting strength, you know, seventies big. Toilet paper. That's <laughs> our, right, so, that's so our so other little so side project we're doing here. Is like the 70s big big line toilet paper. Seventies <laughs> big toilet paper. Rip, talk to me about seventies big. Like, what the hell no. is that? Is is that your thing? Or no, no, it's not my deal. Except by virtue of the fact that Justin Lassick, who's running the thing, is here at the gym and and running a running our little program for us here. We've got uh, a bunch of guys. Uh, that I, so I haven't had a lot of time to devote to developing the program here at the gym for the past two or three years since we've been traveling so much and everything. So, uh, well, tell Justin, I, had a, I, I, I take issue with his classification of Under Armour being in the uh, in the don't category. Well, what do you own stock or what, Charles? What's that? No, you I own don't stock in Under Armour. What? No, but I can I can create a pretty good rational. Now I'm not talking about the skin tight stuff. Okay, I agree with you on that. I'm talking about just the normal t-shirt type style stuff. Well, I don't know anything about clothing, Charles. I, you know, well, it's, it's, it's look at me. <laughs> I mean, do I look like somebody that shops to you? I mean, you've seen me. We've eaten dinner two or three times. What was I wearing? I was wearing an old beat-up T-shirt and some Carhartt pants that happened to actually fit my body. I don't know anything about Under Armour. I just leave it up, that up to the younger guys. I haven't got the slightest idea what yeah, well, is listen, going on on that. My but point look, is, though, you have access to this guy, Justin. So, I mean, I just, you know. Well, here's – all right, let me finish my Justin story. All right, so we get uh, an inquiry from uh, – 
Oh, I've had inquiries from several people because I've let it be known that I was trying to find somebody to occupy this empty office I've got in here. And uh, oh, we had two or three wombats, you know, try to <laughs> try to waltz into the situation. It just didn't work out. And uh, one guy in particular was an absolute train wreck of a human being. <laughs> Uh, brought him in here, and uh, the first thing the the guy did was lose the key that I gave him, and that took like 15 minutes. He, he lost the key that I gave him. The last his last official act was to put the paper towel roll in the dispenser backwards, and for the two weeks in between that, it was just an absolute just carnage, you know, carnage. All over the place, just a complete, you know, the guy's a mess. So uh, I was pretty careful uh, about Justin, and he came up and visited. He was uh, quiet when he should have been quiet. He talked when he should have talked. I had him coach some people. Only an excellent, excellent eye without a lot, didn't require a lot of development, a good eye. Knew when, to, knew when to speak, knew when to be quiet, knew when to encourage, knew when to correct. Just had a lot of potential to be a good coach. And uh, so we invited him to come up, and he's been here almost a year now. And we've got, at this point, we've got about 12 people going to state weightlifting meet in January. Um, probably five of which are going to total close to 300. Uh, wow. We've got... Uh, a, a pretty good crew of kids that we have uh, developed out of a CrossFit class that have gotten pretty big. I've got uh, I got a guy. Uh, oh God, he's one of the one of the best examples of this getting 70s big in here is uh, a kid by the name of Zach Evitz, uh walked in here about two two and a half months ago, and I mean. This little boy was he's like six foot eh, six one and just drowned rat looking weird. You know, it looked he was he was six one, hundred and sixty eight pounds, and he was just an emaciated wreck of a human being. And he he uh we have uh through his hard work, he you know, I nobody thought he'd stay, but he said I wanted to he came in. Kind of looked around, and he's kind of quiet, you know. And he he uh, he walked uh, around in the gym, and finally somebody noticed him, and he, he he what are you doing? You know, what do you what do you want to do? He said, Well, I want to I look at me. I want to get big. I want to get bigger. I need to gain some weight. And we finally said, we said finally somebody with an accurate self assessment here, because you know we're so used to dealing with these people at our seminars that are that are five eight hundred and forty five. That are afraid to gain twenty pounds of muscular body weight because it might slow their five k time down. You know, we have to, we we deal with this every weekend at our CrossFit seminars, and I'm real exhausted with it. So he came in and he he said he wanted to gain some weight. So we we put him on the program, and uh, and I mean fastidiously stuck with the program. And uh, in fact, one day last week he drank two gallons of milk. Oh my God! Two gallons that day. I mean, this kid is willing to do what it takes. He has gone from 168 pounds of body weight to 205. Wow! 
37 pounds of muscular body weight in two months. And I mean the kid is finally filling out. He's kind of beginning to look like a human being. And <laughs> this kid, look, look, Charles, this kid will get to be 275. Yeah. He's got that kind of a frame on him. And his whole attitude has changed. It's just great to see him bloom like this. It really is. This is, you know, it's more than just a physical change in somebody like that. It's a, it's a change in their attitude, change on their, 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 the way they regard themselves and the way they approach other people changes when, when you get this kind of That's an improvement so cool. in, in that short period of time. And he's a good kid. And I'm real proud for what he's done. He's squats gone from 175, uh, to 295 in that period of time. So for five on, sets of five on and a one on a one legged squat he's doing that <laughs> yeah we're going to talk about that in a minute aren't we <laughs> excellent uh and you know we've had a lot of good results here we've got uh uh several guys that have gained 15 pounds 20 pounds in a short period of time justin when he got here was weighing 195 and he's two and a quarter now so he's gained 30 pounds of body weight his squat's gone from oh three and a quarter for his uh, three sets of five across the 465, uh, this is just a straight linear progression. He's done 500 for five singles, pressing okay. 205 for five sets of five, clean jerk, PR 140 at a meet. And I'm telling you, you guys, I'm not exaggerating when I say that he hit that second pull at 140 at the meet. We had a meet down at Tom Witherspoon's place in, in north of Dallas and Van Alstine about three weeks ago, he hit that second pull hard enough to have bent the shit out of a cheap bar. i I never seen it. This kid is explosive. Justin is explosive and powerful and has got lots and lots of potential as an Olympic weightlifter. He's, he's amazing. And uh, his snatches, you know, he's snatching 120 and just having not really done the lifts very uh, That's amazing. For very long. Bench has gone from two and a quarter to three oh five. Um oh God, we got a kid in in uh in uh Georgia, uh one of Justin's buddies, A C, who's the in, in fact who's the kid that actually came up with the term seventies big. We gotta credit A C to to for donating the term seventies big to the website. That little bastard just got through pressing 225 for three sets of five at a body weight of 205. Wow. And I, his squat is uh, 440 for three sets of five, and he just deadlifted uh, 555 for a single. He's doing 500 for sets of five. And he's gone from 185 to 205, so he's gained 20 pounds of body weight, too. So we're having good success with it. We've got a, a bunch of uh, – I was out in uh, – Las Vegas at Nellis Air Force Base a couple of weeks ago working with a group of uh, the pararescue jumpers uh, of the 58th Rescue Squadron out there. And uh, I hope we change some of their minds. Those guys come out of their recruitment pipeline under the impression that they're endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so we were dealing with, you know, five-mile runs all week and all this stuff. So I, I finally, just on an individual basis, I got to every one of them. And I said, look, what do you guys do at work? What is your work situation? You know, my impression is you guys need to be 70s big. And they said, well, you know, we're 
and we got to keep our run time up. I said, what do you do at work? Just distill for me into a short little description of what you guys get done at work. Well, we pick guys up off the ground, put them on our shoulders, and get them the hell out of there. They're injured. They've got kid on. So it's a you know, 200, 250-pound load. you got to get the guy on your back. You've got to evacuate him. It's a situation where you can get him stable medically and then transport him. And so I said, with respect to the task of putting the guy on your back and getting him the hell out of there, what has greater bearing on that, your strength or your five-mile time? And, you know, pretty much everybody in the unit said, well, strength, I guess. And uh, But but that's not their mindset. So I think we've, we've gotten uh, quite a bit of work done out there. I just had reports from my contact guy out there that said that several of those guys have already gained 10 pounds of body weight doing this program. And uh, everybody's, amazingly enough, everybody's run times have gone down or stayed the same. And uh, so we're the, the 70s big idea. We're kind of spreading that around. It's a, it's a useful tool. Yeah. And what it basically means is that uh, most people function better at a heavier muscular body weight. Now, that's kind of a duh kind of a thing to us four guys here, right? But <laughs> I'll promise you that we deal with people every weekend at our oh. CrossFit seminars that just – will sit there in the chair and defend anorexia. Uh, they don't want to gain any weight because they're afraid of uh, what it's going to do their 5K time, and they're they're interested. Uh, the analysis always basically boils down to strength-to-body weight ratio. Uh-huh. And my answer to that from now on is going to be the universe doesn't give a shit about your strength to body weight ratio. The universe only cares if you can pick up the 200-pound guy off the ground and moving. Doesn't matter (laughs) how much you weigh. Your job is this load. Can you move this load? And the stronger you are, the more likely you are to be able to do it. I think this is a... Let's move on to the topic of the day. I I think we've got a great segue for that. Um, I want to urge everybody first to, um, you know, check out more about RIP and what, what's coming up. Go to startingstrength.com, and I'm sure the new book will be on there. Um, the toilet stand will be coming and, and all that. So um, let's go ahead and kick this off with the topic over there. Okay, um, I think as you, you can kind of see, the topic of the day is going to be uh, just how do you get 70s big, and uh, maybe more importantly, how don't you get 70s big? <laughs> so um, I'm sure we've all got got things to add in there, but um, Rip's our, Rip's our guest today, so let's let you kick it off, Rip. Well, 70s big is <clears throat> primarily accomplished by lifting heavy weights and eating enough to get recovered. So here is it's real simple. You give your body a reason 
the need to be bigger. That's the barbell part, right? And then you give your body a way to recover so that it can grow into that role, and that's the eating a lot of food part. And for guys, younger guys, you know, generally our our outreach demographic here is guys that are 18 to 35, right? Um, the the likelihood of being able to actually get fat while you're training hard, like we're recommending that you do, is so low that uh, we don't even consider it as a possibility. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think one thing that's that's worth saying is, I mean, I, a lot of what I've seen people afraid of, and like you, I don't know, you eloquently put it, uh, drowned rat love kids. Right. Uh, they're afraid of losing their six pack. You know, I'm gonna be struggling with a six pack, and it's like, man, uh, I've never seen a six pack lift a weight. You know, or do no. anything. No, <laughs> they they don't, and uh, the 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 problem often boils down to, really, these guys that say they're interested in performance are not interested in performance. They're interested in bodybuilding. They're interested in physique. They don't want to lose their six-pack. And I run into this every weekend, like I say. People will say they they don't want to drop their 5K time by gaining 20, 30 pounds of useful muscular body weight. That's not what they mean. They know they're not going to drop their 5K time. They know that. They've talked to enough people that have gained 20 or 30 pounds of useful muscular body weight who have not lost any off their 5K time or their 5-mile time and, in fact, who have gotten better performance from their running as they've gained useful muscular body weight. What they really mean is they don't want to lose their six-pack. Exactly. And then, That's you know, exactly. That's all it is. There's not really any any apology you can make about that either. It's just the case. Yeah. Well, then you hear the argument about, you know, so-and-so athlete, you know, maybe, you know, well, this linebacker in the NFL is walking around at 240 and he's got a six-pack. Well, I guarantee it's not because he's training to get a six-pack. You know, he has a six-pack because uh, as a default of training hard and eating big. Well, it's his genetics. He's probably got something to do with the genetics, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, most NFL people would probably rather play at about 15, 16% body fat anyway. Yeah. Because it's, you don't bruise as bad. You know, uh, uh, 23% body fat is probably not terribly useful. It's not going to be a, a harmful thing, but it's, uh, by the same token, 8% body fat is not uh, an adaptive situation for a for a guy that has to go out in pads and get hit and hit other people. No, and you know, perform at a high level. I mean it's right. just it's you well known that if you want to be strong, you gotta carry some extra fuel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you gotta uh, eat in such a way to get the muscle mass built that also a little bit of fat's gonna be deposited at the same time. And if you've got a psychological problem with that, then you're probably not going to to see a performance increase from your weight training uh, nearly up to what it could be if you did not have that psychological problem. This is is something I've been observing over the past, oh, 12, 15 years. When I first started in this business back in the early 80s, I didn't see this near as much, but there 
has been a trend recently, past decade and a half, amongst young men that they all think they're supposed to have a six-pack. I have 14-year-old kids come in the gym here uh, that will tell me they want that their primary interest is that they want a six-pack. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because uh, somebody has planted this idea in their head that uh, it's, 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 it's probably just exactly analogous to uh, what's going on with young women in the fashion magazines. Uh, this has come from uh, Joe Weider's little publications being available at the uh, checkout stand. All these kids uh, have seen pictures of guys with abs and big old giant huge bodybuilders that are certainly not representative samples of uh, the male population, the functional male population. And they think they're supposed to look like that and in exactly the same way that young 15-year-old girls think they're supposed to be you know, five foot eight and ninety eight pounds. Yeah, it's just. And Sean, what I was kind of getting at there is that you know, uh, if you want to get seventies big and seventies strong, for that matter, you know, you're likely not going to be super lean. You got to eat for the job. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, training to get get strong, and uh, it's it's rare nowadays. You eat for eat for strength, eat for recovery, eat for performance, eat for growth, and whatever happens to your body fat. We'll take care of that later, okay? Yeah, exactly. when, it when it comes time for you to put on those shiny purple trunks and shave <laughs> your ass and and put the brown paint on and put the oil on top of that and get up there and show us your double biceps and your lat spread and your trademark signature archer pose, okay? <laughs> then we'll worry about your body fat, but let's just... Get strong and big right now, okay? Yeah. Now, what, what are we um, uh, what are we uh, looking at for uh, exercise choices? You know, let's break this down pretty simply. Well, squat, uh, bench press, press, deadlift, and you know, cleans and snatches. Is that squat on one leg or two? Oh, I always use two. <laughs> and the reason I use two is because I can do more weight that way. I'm sorry if that's a rather simplistic analysis, but I'm just not that smart. All right, so obviously we're talking about the recent uh, little video clip that's been going around on the Internet of uh, Mike Boyle, who uh, yeah. it's called the uh, – I think the, the, the title is something along the lines of, uh, is this the death of back squatting? Yeah, some, some silly shit like that, yeah. Yeah, and so um, – and what Mike was making – an argument uh, that roughly paraphrased that um, he's got all these kids who can um, squat X amount of weight on one leg, and that amount of weight is um, significantly more than half of what they can back squat, so he thinks it's more efficient. But, Rip, that's a common observation, I mean, that, that you can always lift more than half of your max with one limb. I mean, that's just something that's been known forever. But Well, I never could. I never really? could. I was. I was. My knees always hurt too bad for me to even try any of that one-legged pistol squat type stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, how low uh, are they dipping in this? Do what? How low are they going in this uh, one-legged squat? Gosh, I don't know. I've. I, all I saw was the video of the lecture that explained that uh, since Coach Boyle's athletes could all squat more on one leg than they could ever possibly attempt on two legs. <laughs> 
I was forced to the conclusion that Coach Boyle didn't have anybody squatting heavy weights on two legs. <laughs> you know, I, I, I drew the opposite conclusion, apparently, than he did. He thinks you squat more uh, as a function of uh, twice the weight on one leg than, than two legs. Nobody does anything on one leg. This is more of this functional training shit. Well, rip, it's just, rip, you know, and I don't know. Let, let me say, I've never met Coach Boyle. I don't know him personally. Uh, and he may be the greatest guy in the whole world, and I'm perfectly willing to, to uh, you know, give him all of that. But this is not useful. <laughs> this is just not useful. The back is an inefficient transducer. Is his argument, and the, so in other words, the force that generated by the hips and legs that goes up, that's transmitted up the back to the bar, is not transmitted efficiently up the back. Well, I wonder why that might be. You know, it's because he doesn't want anybody to do deadlifts and get their back strong. Look, this is—it's not necessary to deconstruct a hundred years of empirical evidence. Of strength training. We squat and we get strong. We deadlift and we get strong. If we don't, we don't get strong. That's just all there is to it. You know, that's just all there is to it. And I don't really see any point in trying to reinvent this particular wheel unless we're trying to build some kind of proprietary niche for our brand new thinking and thus have something new to sell. Well, Rip, That's the only context in which this makes any sense. But, Rip, what about skateboarding? <laughs> Sorry. Boy, Charles, you just left me in the dirt there, man. I don't know. What, no, what about it's, skateboarding? It's, it's, it's sort of an inside joke because when we're at Bed and Barbell uh, on our Saturday training, we always see these little skinny kids going by on a skateboard, and uh, you never see a big muscular kid going by on a skateboard. Ah, yeah, so it's just a big muscular guys obviously can't do that, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess we got, that, we got that, that, hey, now there's an analysis. <laughs> yeah, we had a father come by, wanted us to make his his son, who's going to be the quarterback, huge, and all the kid does is skateboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's going to be a problem. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. So I've seen the videos that you guys have seen, and I just, I don't know. I I, I have to be, you know, everybody just, look, don't worry about it. Everybody just calm down. This is not going to change anything. This isn't the death of anything except the five minutes it took you to watch that shit, okay? It's, it's there's no logical argument there, and... I mean, here this is the same guy that agreed with uh, Gray Cook, who's a PT apparently, that that you can't teach adults how to do the Olympic lifts. Do you remember him saying that, Charles? I do. I think I you and I have that. discussed this before. Well, uh, I, he, they I, I actually took... got together on some interview uh, show uh, similar to the one we're doing right now, and and both were in complete agreement that. Not only was CrossFit bullshit and its uh, its emphasis on teaching adults the, the Olympic lifts, but that you can't teach adults the Olympic lifts because they can't learn them uh, safely or effectively after they're uh, like junior lifters. And Rip, that just... happened. That that came out roughly two days 
after uh, our first session with my client, Andy Laird, who's 67 years old, who uh, power cleaned safely and efficiently 70 kilos on his first session. Isn't that crazy? I have been teaching adults to do the Olympic lifts for 25 years. I do it every week. I, I teach the power clean. I teach the full squat clean, the snatch, the power snatch, the split snatch. I've coached people in the Olympic lifts that are adults for years, decades. And here are these two PTs telling me that it can't be done. Well, it makes everything said after that by them kind of suspect, doesn't it? Because, sure. because it's not their experience, it can't be done. Because it's outside their expertise, it can't be accomplished. I've, I, I know otherwise. In a sense, let's kind of ring this back into to the topic of the day. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, to get 70s big, it's a resurgence to, you know, what, 30, 40 years ago even, uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. What, what that would make it 80s big. Well, but, okay. You know, but look, we're using Pizarenko and Doug Young. So we're talking about that same, that era. Everybody knows yeah. what we say when we mean 70s big. Oh, yeah. So the term's well, kind of loosely nailed down. You know, get back to the roots. What what York Barbell Club used to be. What you know, even hell, even Muscle Beach used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, get back and pick up heavy things in the ways we know that work. Right. You know, get out there, deadlift, squat, press, right. bench, exactly. yada yada, and do it hard and do it heavy. Absolutely, absolutely, and eat to recover therefrom. Yeah. Hey, and, Rep, let's, and what happens is you just get big, and that's the way you need to be. Rip, let me bring up a a, a, a practical question. Uh, just to, you know, it's, it's fun to joke around, but, but you know, if, if there are skinny guys listening to this who, you know, still have the six-pack notion, how would you explain to these kids or young men, as it might be, you know, what degree of body fat is acceptable? What degree of body fat should you expect if you're going, in other words, using your example, uh, Justin, of, or, or, uh, or not, Maybe it wasn't Justin, but the no, the uh, probably Zach. I'm talking about Zach, Zach who went from 168. Too much. It, he went from 168 to 205. What kind of body fat, uh, would, if you were going to be in the same situation, what kind of body fat should you expect to gain, and and um, you know, co- cover that a little bit so that people okay. kind of know what they're getting into. Well, using Zach as an example, uh, he went from. Oh, he's gained the 37 pounds in probably, it's been eight or nine weeks now. Uh, I would imagine that Zach, of that 37 pounds, that probably, um, realistically, probably eight or ten pounds of that is fat. And then you can do the percentage calculation from there. I don't have my calculator right in front of me. But it's, you know, so if Zach gained 27 pounds of muscle, 28, 29 pounds of muscle, 8 or 10 pounds of fat. Uh, is that acceptable to Zach? And I sure. think he'll tell you that, yes, it is. Because as a purport, his waist is the same size in proportion to his chest, his lats in his chest, as it was before, maybe a little smaller. Wow. His legs have grown at least four inches in circumference, at least. 
his calves have grown an inch. His his arms have grown an inch and a half. Yeah. yeah now, let's that say he put on, on 10 pounds of fat, okay? Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who yeah. gives a shit? It's fat he needed to put on because yeah. that enabled him to gain the muscle. And what's happened to his performance? What do you think has happened to his work output? <laughs> Having gone from 175 for five to 295 in that period, the short period of time, his chin-ups have gone up. He can do like he came in here doing five or six, and now he can do 11 or 12. Uh, That's pretty cool. I don't have him run, so I don't know about his run time. I don't care about his run time. Yeah. I don't want him running right now. I want him running later. Next month. I mean, I think a couple things that I can add in here. I mean, it's people forget. You know, they want to gain. I, well, I just want to gain lean mass. You know, that ain't happening. I mean, if you gain, say you put on twenty pounds and ten pounds of its fat and ten pounds of muscle, we know how to take off fat. You're still the same body fat percentage. Yeah, we know how to take fat off. Even if you do get fat, what's easier to do? And I mean. The hard part that people get across, I mean, it's like they, they concentrate so much on the body fat, and if they just – your form follows your function. Right. If you get stronger, work harder, you're not going to look worse. You're just not. No. It's just it's, yeah. it's the physiologic process by which muscle mass is gained yeah. is just requires that some fat be deposited at the same yeah. time. It's impossible well, for the average lay guy to dial their diet in – to the point that all of the mass gained is muscle. It's yeah. not any, and furthermore, it's not necessary to do that. It's just well, not, you're just it's selling not possible. Yourself you're slowing your progress. I, well, I think a guy that can gain uh, that that gains thirty pounds of muscle mass, and in the process of doing that, uh, loses five pounds of body fat, has probably gone the better lifting through chemistry route. Yeah. And uh, since we don't really deal with that here, we're just we're happy if a kid gets a little fluffy around the middle, as long as his uh, squat goes up 200 pounds, his deadlift goes up 250 pounds, his chin-ups go up, his bench press and his press go up. We're all happy if he gets a little fluffy around the middle because, again, when it comes time when it comes time to take that bodybuilding stage, we know how to diet him down. Exactly. I mean. Right? When we get him up on that bodybuilding stage, we'll have him shredded and ripped when it comes time. But yeah, well, getting big, hell, getting people. How many bodybuilders have lost sight of that fact? That yeah. what they're showing, theoretically, at least used to be, is big muscles. Yes. Not Ethiopian leanness. Yes. You know. Well, I think well, what's missed too is that. Uh, they they want it takes years to put on muscle and strength. Yeah. You know, I was working from an initial strength level of six hundred pounds and it took me about two and a half pounds two and a half years to get my first seven hundred. And yeah. with that I put on thirty or forty pounds of weight. Right. Up to about two seventy five. Yes. And then after that, about a month later, we decided to do a a, a cut, if you will. You know, it took two and a half years to put that muscle and that strength on. It took me 30 days to take 25 pounds of fat off. This, 
You this is typical. Real easy, especially if you have more muscle. Muscle That's is an extremely persistent tissue. Yeah. Strength is an extremely persistent adaptation. Body fat, on the other hand, is designed to be transient, isn't it? Exactly. It's designed to be transient. You don't need to stress over a few pounds of fat here and there. No. You can take it off in a few weeks. See, and this is just this is all fallout from appearance-based training. Yeah. And how many people that actually say they're doing performance-based training are really, really honestly, honestly, no shit, really doing bodybuilding? Absolutely. So they're a little weird version of it, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I think 70s big is just our response to all of this. We've we've just gotten frustrated over the years with people being I've I've seen this in my gym here for 10 15 years. Kids come in, I tell them what to do to get big. They gain 10 or 15 pounds and then they because that's real easy to do initially. An initial gain of 10 15 pounds really. And then they they uh perceive that they're getting a little fat around the belly. Uh and are happily happy to ignore the fact that They've also gotten bigger arms and bigger legs and bigger chest. All they oh, see is oh. their is their abs go away, and they they freak out and they decide they don't want to be fat and they lose everything they obtained in terms of the strength uh, because they're afraid to keep growing. They 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 lose that head of steam they had to begin with. Uh, well, they'll keep the muscle because again the muscle is a persistent adaptation, but they're freaked out when they see their, their abs get a little soft. And, you know, look, that's fine. You guys do what you want to do. All, right. <laughs> All I know is that a 170-pound guy, a 5'11", 170-pound guy, that's, that's ripped at 6% body fat, right? You put clothes on him, and he just looks like a skinny guy that doesn't train to me. Exactly. Well, we got a ton of questions that are on the topic and and elsewhere. Let's go ahead and move to those, and uh, we can all we can all field those. But uh, first one, um, I think <laughs> relates to what we were just talking about pretty well. Um, it's for you, Rip. Kyle and Mountain View. Can seventies big improve my sex life? <laughs> uh, well, you know. Before I answer that question, I'm required by law to ask how old the the questioner is, because <laughs> I don't want to participate in anything that might be considered be illegal. Time. I mean, if you got a 14 year old kid asking about this, we need to move on to the next question. <laughs> I, I have no idea. You understand my you understand my concern here, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Andy in Liverpool, England. Um, what is your opinion over the studies that claim that drinking water supplies are slowly being saturated with estrogen? Do you feel as though this could actually be some kind of threat towards people who wish to get something big? Okay. Uh, you're kind of breaking up here, Phil. What's the read that question to me again, can you? Okay. Um much better. pretty much asking if uh the water supplies are slowly being saturated with estrogen. Do you feel that this could be a threat to uh, people trying to get 70s big. The water supplies in England may have been saturated with estrogen for quite some time, <laughs> as evidenced by the behavior of most British men in most circumstances. Uh, 
I have no doubt that they're doing that over there. Uh, I know that here in Wichita Falls, uh, it would cost a lot of money to saturate Lake Arrowhead with estrogen, and uh, the city budget just does not have that. I mean, they're 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 hard pressed to fluoridate and 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 chlorinate uh, the water, much less estrogenate it. So um, I don't know the, the the British though they've got lots of money. Uh, um, Eddie, uh, I'll add. I mean, I think a lot of these things are being brought up, of course, and then driven by the supplement companies. Um, you've seen it. I mean, here and here again, they always pick something that's evil. You know, for a while it was cortisol, for a while it was estrogen, and most of it was to sell their their latest supplement. You know, and honestly, estrogen is needed to a point to get you big and strong. Even it is a hormone well, that you part of that axis. You know, it just it's. it's uh-huh. It does, in fact, we were just talking about this the other night, uh, estrogen uh, does interact with uh, androgenic receptor sites in a positive way under certain circumstances. Uh, To a certain extent, if you only got testosterone on board and you have no estrogen in place uh, at the same time, you probably are not going to see the... uh, Response that you would were that hormone axis in balance. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there I mean there's yeah. obviously a role for estrogen, and I'm not an endocrinologist, and I, yeah. you know, the, the chances are high that I just pulled that out of my ass. But <laughs> I I think that uh, uh, the the question from Liverpool was probably a joke. Yeah. So um, what's your knowledge on to the a phone troll. <laughs> we got another guy in London here. Um, okay. What should a novice do when they start to stall on exercises? E.g., go very slowly on the squat, even when they've been doing starting strength for only a few weeks and eating enough food. Well, you shouldn't be stalled for after just a few weeks if you have done the progression correctly. But chances are that, that you have done are, one, you have taken – too big a jump on that workout. There comes a time when 10-pound jumps on the squat won't work. You have to know when that is, and you have to go to 5-pound jumps so that you can maintain a linear increase for a, a length of time. If you insist on taking 10-pound jumps for you know without having enough sense to know when to cut back to 5-pound jumps, you're going to get stuck. The second most frequent thing that we see is that People don't take long enough between the sets. When you're a rank novice, the first couple of weeks, and you're only and you're starting off with 125 pounds for your for your three sets of five, it's not going to matter how long you rest. I mean, you can only rest a couple of a couple of minutes between the sets because each one of those efforts doesn't constitute uh, a, a a heavy event relative to your absolute strength at that point this is we're just getting ramped up into the adaptation but by the time you get up to 225 for three sets of five if you're still taking those two minute breaks then you you're failing to understand what we're trying to do this day we're not trying to do metabolic conditioning we're trying to uh, we're trying to get all three sets of all five reps, and you rest long enough between sets to get that done. 
If it's seven or eight minutes, that's how long it takes. If you get up to where you're doing 405 for three sets of five, those breaks may be 15 minutes. You rest as long as you need to dissipate the fatigue from the previous set before you go into the next one. And a lot of times people will get stuck prematurely for those two reasons. They're taking too big jumps or they're not resting enough between between sets. And I'll take him at his word that he's eating enough food because most of the time people yeah. think that 3,000 calories a day is enough food and it's not. Yeah. Okay. Um, Travis Burson Auburn. Uh, this is kind of for anybody. Um, he's, he's a sophomore. Uh, he's in ROTC. Um, they College or high school? I'm assuming high school, right? Auburn University. Okay. So, Auburn. Oh, okay. All right. So, Army ROTC program. Um, they got to do a lot of running, and he's not a running person. Uh, it always makes his back and legs sore. Uh, he runs Mondays, Wednesdays, and he usually runs Saturdays to keep passing his PT test, which is a two-mile run. His question, anyways, is um, what is the advice from everybody on the, what he should do for squats, power cleans when he's sore from running? Which days to perform these exercises? Tips, help, soreness. Thank you very much. Well, so he runs Mondays, Wednesdays, and he also adds on Saturdays. He's looking for advice on programming squats, power cleans um, into this program. I'll tell you right now that I don't think you need to run three times a week to maintain. Of course you don't. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's what they all think because their, their PT instructor tells them they do. Right. I mean, I, I, I try to maintain a certain uh, running ability that I won't go into detail about, but I do it on one running session a week, sure. um, one only. And, and I actually, I make improvements on just one a week. Yeah, and you're probably able to max out the PT test that this kid thinks he's having to train three days a week to pass. Well, that's the thing. I'm 270, and I mean, I, I, I very easily maintain this test that a lot of guys blow at 170 pounds. Right. And maintaining yeah. that. And like I said, actually, just just yesterday, actually, I actually improved uh, my performance on that. And that's, again, one time a week. And I'm, you know, I mean, I understand what he's saying about, you know, being – sometimes I, I made the analogy, you know, you, sometimes you got to squat tired and sometimes you got to run sore. Because um, right. uh, that's just the way life is and that's the way work is quite frequently. But Exactly. But like as you say, I mean, as long as you're maximizing your rest and your sleep and you're, you're eating enough – um, and you're just willing to, as you say, you know, um, grin and bear the fact that that's just life. Sometimes you're sore, sometimes you're fatigued, and get on with it. Um, well, the first the thing run, I make... always observe about people that are chronically sore is that you probably need to actually count your protein intake because yeah. it's probably not what you think it is. And if you up your pro, if you're still sore. Up your protein 100 grams a day and see what happens. Right. Uh, 75% of the time, that's the problem. And this kid is not eating as much as he thinks he is. For an activity level, as he describes, running three days a week and training three days a week, I'm thinking a 6,000-calorie-a-day diet. I guarantee you he's not. And, Absolutely, uh, and, and that's that's probably the problem. Along with with your excellent point about the misunderstanding about what it takes to maintain yeah. adequate running ability to max out of military PT, it's just not that hard. No, they don't. The, they don't ask them for five minute miles. 
you know. I'd say drop drop the extra day for sure. If you have to run Mondays, Mondays, Wednesdays, um, you know, just do the running one day. Maybe go hard one day. That's what and I do. I do one day a week, and, and I run like a son of a bitch. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and I make improvements, like I say, and not only maintain, but I make improvements. Yeah. And it doesn't. Until Saturday, you can use a Saturday to concentrate on getting strong. Yep. And if you get strong, you're going to run better. I mean, what's the best way to, you know, pass the 225 bench test? It's not consistently bench 225 and see how many times you can do it. No, it's get a 500-pound bench press. Right. If you get stronger, you're going to get better in endurance, too, to a point. To a point, sure. Well, the the analogy I always use for strength as it relates to endurance is uh, is my bicycle analogy. It, it it explains it pretty thoroughly to most people. If you are a recreational cyclist and you're out here in flat North Texas and you're trying to, to maintain a recreational cyclist pace of, say, 18 miles an hour at a cadence of, say, 75 RPM, okay, each one of those pedal strokes where you push down on the pedal, represents a percentage of your absolute strength. And it's obviously a very sub-maximal percentage. Mm-hmm. Or you couldn't do it for two hours. So let's say that it represents, oh, 20% of your absolute strength. Every time you push down on the pedals. Now let's get you in the gym and measure your squat. And, and let's say that your squat is 150 pounds for a set of five. And... Let's let that squat, 150 for 5, be a proxy for your absolute strength. Okay? Now, let's keep you in the gym for a month, six weeks. Let's take your squat on our linear progression from 150 to 300. We can do this in six or eight weeks without any trouble for most people that will actually train and eat like we tell them to. Yeah, your body weight's gone up a little bit. But what's happened to your strength? It's doubled. And as a percentage of your absolute strength, what has happened to the effort required to maintain your 18 miles an hour at a 75 RPM cadence down the road? It's cut in half. Because relative to your now doubled absolute strength, that effort is now 10% instead of 20%. And most people can see this. Most people can see this. The, the, the primary question I always get from cyclists is, but, but I don't want to have to gain the, the, the carry the 15 pounds around, you know. And to the, I don't know, you know, these people just don't understand, apparently, that the bigger motor doesn't slow the car down, you know. What's a big block Chevrolet weigh related to a small block Chevrolet? It's like 185 pounds more yeah. iron, right? Well, why would anybody, what what suicidal race car guy would ever put a big block Chevrolet in his car? I mean, it's 185 pounds more weight he has to carry. See, they don't understand that simple situation. But that's how strength relates to endurance. Now, on the other hand, endurance relates to strength in absolutely no way at all. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, next one. Uh, Rip, can a 70s big, can I be 70s big as a vegetarian? I drink four to five liters of milk a day and eat a ton of cheese and eggs. No soy. Well, you know, you probably can do it, but why on earth would you want to? 
you know, I don't, I, I don't generally like to get into discussions with vegetarianism yeah. because, because that's at when it really boils down to is it's, it's religion. Yeah. It functions at the level of religion. If you think that the planet doesn't want you to kill an animal, uh, I don't know. You've got, you've got problems outside the scope of my limited psychological education. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't generally entertain. You know, I mean, you're a vegan. Okay, that's fine. Go ahead. This guy's not a vegan. He's odobo lacto vegetarian. Yeah, and he's probably getting enough protein. You know, he doesn't apparently have any kind of weird stricture about uh, consumption of whey protein. So you yeah. probably get the protein in. Yeah, uh, it's easier with red meat because red meat's a better protein source in terms of the amino acids that that are required for the assembly of new skeletal muscle, but you, you know, you, you can do the job with whey protein and eggs and, and cheese and milk, obviously. So it's possible, but uh, not preferred. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not my preference. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just got a, we just got another half a cow in the freezer. We just got from a guy up in, uh, uh, up in Oklahoma that raises this grass-fed beef, and oh, my God, the guy needs to come over to the house and eat with me. <laughs> That's all I could suggest to him. He hasn't got a problem with animal protein because he's eating eggs and cheese and milk. Well, he just hadn't had a good steak. He probably lives someplace like uh, California or something. We <laughs> can't get good. Let me, let me let me say to that listener also: plants don't want you eating them either, and that's why trees have bark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point. <laughs> Okay, Rip, uh, Matthew and Santa Barbara, there are a lot of supplements out there. Do you like any of them for novice lifters? Yeah, I get this question quite a bit. It's it's uh, a function of the uh, excellent job the magazine distributors have done with their with their products. I counted up a Flex magazine uh, two years ago for an article I was writing, and 63% of the paper space in that magazine was ad space. Yeah. 63%. There's got to be something to advertise. <laughs> uh, here's the deal. The only supplements I sell here at the gym are a Beverly International Super Pack, a vitamin pack, and that's all. Yeah. And since I don't make a lot of money selling supplements, I don't have to tell you a bunch of stupid bullshit about what they do. Obviously, creatine works. There's been, you know, enough, oh, God almighty, the, the National Strength and Conditioning Association's journal Strength and Conditioning Research wouldn't even exist without creatine studies to publish. You know, there's five in each each month. There's five more creatine studies. How in the hell can you keep doing these stupid things? We know it works. You guys, think of something else to write your master's thesis about, okay? That, yeah, creatine works. But all of this other shit is just... You know, and I mean, you you see a lot of training advice out there that just puts right up front. It's predicated on the type of SUPS you're taking. They call them SUPS now. Yeah. And uh, uh, look, I think you need probably to take some vitamins. That's why I sell them here, just as insurance. I think it's a good idea to get some extra vitamins. I think that if you are eating uh, 200, 250 grams of protein a day, and that if a gallon of whole milk is in your diet, that you probably don't need another protein supplement, do you? 
I don't think that uh, uh, the rest of a 6,000-calorie diet, unless you're just a little child and are doing it with McDonald's french fries, uh, is going to be devoid of enough nutrition uh, that it requires you to supplement with anything much. Yeah. And the vitamins cover those bases. Exactly. Um, so I, no, I think you just eat. You know, you eat. I, if I was going to pick some useful supplements, the first thing I would throw in would be some fish oil. Yeah. Because I mean, we know enough about that to to, to where that's probably just a good idea. Is some fish oil, maybe a little extra vitamin C. Um, just a, a broad spectrum vitamin supplement, and that ought to be about it. Yeah, that's not the great creatine. A what, do you, what do you take, Bill? Exactly, creatine, multivitamin, and fish oil, and then a protein supplement as I need it. Yeah, I think you know, probably Charles, you do the same thing. Uh, exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I think we're all pretty much in agreement because we don't make our living selling supplements, so we don't have to lie to people about what they do. <laughs> okay. Um, I can't pronounce the person's name, but uh, Mr. Milano in Chicago. Um, Mr. Reptile, I'm not all that familiar with powerlifting use, but I know that you think the sport has gone. There's lots of integrity, and I'm curious how you would restore its former glory. If all the powerlifting organizations were consolidated into one, and you were the president of this new mega organization with absolute control of everything, what would you change and or eliminate? Suits, good, bad, lift, drug testing, etc. Basically, what should powerlifting be? And what should it be? Oh God, I uh, you know I don't know that I want to get into a, a, a the situation of, of <laughs> saying with so many people that things ought to always be like they were when I was twenty five years old. Yeah, you know uh, when I was lifting, we had one fly suits, and I mean shitty one-fly suits, and we had wraps that were the equivalent of ace bandages. Uh, the bench press shirt had just come into existence, and I've actually never had one on. Uh, I think that uh, lifting in a, in a possibly knee wraps and a belt and a singlet would be more uh, a more realistic assessment of a person's actual strength in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. I think everybody knows that, uh, that sees 900,000-pound squats, 800, 900-pound benches, and 700-pound deadlifts. I don't think it takes a great deal of analysis to, uh, to know that when John Cook was deadlifting in the high eights, squatting in the middle eights and bench pressing around six, that that's an honest total. Yeah. And that a guy that's squatting 400 pounds over his deadlift is not showing you an honest total. I don't think this is difficult material. But I'm not going to sit here and, and be holier than now and say that these guys that are uh, using – a lot more equipment that I did or doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. I'm just not that big an asshole. I'm an asshole, but I'm not that big an asshole. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I, it's just whatever a guy wants to do. I I think that it's obvious that 
most people that train their deadlift correctly are going to deadlift a little more than they squat. Yeah. Uh, in a in a competition that honestly assesses the squat, I think the mono lift is a ridiculous idea. Uh, I think that taking the squat out of the rack, setting it up, squatting it, and putting it back in the rack is part of the squat. Uh, you know, personally, I don't think an 18 ply denim suit is going to allow us to, to to see how strong you are in a squat. I certainly, as hell, do not doubt my own eyes when I see the depths that are getting white lights in some federations. Uh, you know, I, 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 really, I see the, the judge come out of his chair and white light an attempt that is clearly three inches above parallel. You all have seen this. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's not, it, it, you don't have to be, uh, you know, a, a, a terribly bright person to understand that things have eroded in terms of judging over the past 20 years in certain federations. Yeah, what's being passed down in a lot of federations is, is it's, just embarrassing. It, it embarrasses me. The well, ITF think, does a great job. I've seen some some incredible stuff going on at the IPF level. Uh, you know, I've got a video that, that I that I use every weekend of a guy taking a thousand twenty four out of the rack, taking it out of the rack, setting it up, squatting it a half inch below parallel, driving his hips up, locking it out, and walking it back in the rack with the spotters. And my God, that's uh, there's amazing strong people around, but I think we're playing games with each other when we pass 1,100 pound squats that are four inches above parallel. I don't see any purpose in that. Well, I, I think it's, it's bad on, on a lot of levels where a lot of the ones you're seeing you're seeing bad judging on are the top lifts, and they're the lifts that break records, stuff like that, and that's that's where the, the judging should get stricter. Mm-hmm. I mean, not worse. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe somebody's first meet, and you know, they're getting in there, give them a little leeway. But damn, <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's a good idea. I've watched that happen in Olympic lifting for a long period of time. Is giving kids uh, yeah. leeway on uh, on lifts. Now, if you want to do that to old masters guys, that's fine with me. But I don't think you're teaching a 14 year old junior lifter the right lesson when you let him press out his first uh, a jerk at a meet. I don't think that's a good idea. I think he needs to be taught that there are standards and that this is a competition and that in training we need to be developing the habits we're going to display at our competition and that if you press out your jerks, you get the red lights. I don't think you're doing – I don't think you're encouraging a kid. I think you're teaching him the wrong lesson. So I'm pretty strict about that at my mates. We judge – our kids, the way we judge our open lifters. We might, uh, you know, it's good if you cut Ripito some slack because he's, you know, he, he's liable to press out a jerk because his shoulders <laughs> almost don't work. But, and I obviously say that with tongue in cheek, but I I, uh, I really uh, am real adamant about that. I don't think that judging should ever be compromised, yeah. especially in a situation where, the athlete can actually perform the movement correctly if he's expected to and required to. 
Desert. Let's just do two more. We can be here all day. Um, yep. Who did you look up to when you started to train? Coach, mentor, friend, et cetera? Well, Bill Starr raised me. Uh, so, obviously, uh, and, and Bill and I are still good friends, and we talk all the time. And, and uh, you know, I basically owe my career to Bill Starr. I've, I've always said that and always will. The new book is dedicated to him and my mom. And uh, he taught me about competition and about lifting and about coaching, and he taught me my craft, if I've got a craft. And so I obviously am indebted to him. Uh, the guys that I that ran meets here in Texas, I've always looked up to those guys. Doug Patterson is a great man. He's underappreciated. He and his brother Clay uh, single-handedly promoted powerlifting back in the late 70s and early 80s and had the great the Texas uh, Greater Texas Classic. It's a great regional level meet back in the late 70s, early 80s. And they promoted that meet, did a great deal for the sport. So Doug Patterson's a big hero of mine. He's a he's a great man. All the guys that were involved in lifting back then. John Pettit uh, was a good friend of mine. Uh, John basically wrote the uh, rule book for the USPF back in the early 80s. He was a, an official and selflessly tirelessly essentially sacrificed his life for the sport of powerlifting, and I don't say that lightly. John gave more of, way more than he should have to the sport of powerlifting. Uh, and those of you that know John know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's underappreciated by people here in the early 21st century for the, the legacy that lives on in powerlifting today in the form of the rule book and many of the the uh, the things that we take for granted were invented by John Pettit. John was a great man. He had an extremely fucked up sense of humor that I really, really miss. He's a, he was a great, great guy. And uh, all powerlifting officials stand on his shoulders today. Um, a lot of guys... Uh, that I knew back then there were great lifters, great gentlemen on the platform. Uh, you know, all the all the great lifters whose names you guys know, but but guys uh that I trained with and and uh, showed me what it's like to have big giant balls under the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys uh too many to to mention, but you know, I you know, I've gotten a lot of credit for this book, but look guys, I didn't invent any of this shit. All I did was collate it and write it down in a form that's a little, possibly a little bit more understandable than has been has been seen heretofore. But none of this is my idea. You know, these are just I'm just happy to be able to to be exposed to all the stuff I've been exposed to and to write it down in a form that allows it to get passed on to people that don't have the benefit of uh, the experiences I've had and. Uh, yeah, I just hope that people appreciate that I, you know, uh, did something constructive. That's all I'm interested in. 
Last one here. Um, Julie in the Canadian suburb known as Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> have you ever considered a staff <laughs> Polynesian woman? <laughs> yeah, she, have you ever considered a staff development weekend at Staley B&B for your crew? Do what now? She says, have you ever considered a staff development weekend at the Staley Bed and Barbell for your crew? What is in Phoenix? <laughs> for God, have you ever been to Phoenix, Charles? Why are you down there anyway? It's 182 degrees down there. Rep, you need I, I to will, move, I, all right? I will correct you right now. It is 60 degrees. It is perfect, perfect training weather. Oh, God. I mean, it does occasionally reach 182, but, you know. <laughs> Do you? Are you telling me that I'm wrong? You're wrong about this. You're wrong today. I mean, it is 60 okay. out. It's, it's perfect out today. Well, we'll talk about that, Jules. We'll have a little conversation about that. I think maybe we could, you know, if we could twist Dr. Staley's arm about this, maybe we'll pay him and Phil a visit uh, <laughs> out there. I'm familiar with the bed and barbell. It's a wonderful place, good training atmosphere. My favorite thing about the bed and barbell is the chalk bucket in the garage. There you go. It's well, a, Rip, we, we have a new and improved bed and barbell now, and uh, – We've uh, we've got some new accoutrements and uh, actually two garages and uh, we have a fireplace now. Did you guys yeah. move? Or did yeah. you build on? No, we moved. Relocated. We yep. relocated. Well, I can't speak to the new one, but I like the old one just fine. Uh, trained there myself. You guys got a great operation going on down there, and anybody that comes to visit and learn from you is far better off when they leave. You guys are doing the Lord's work. And uh, well, appreciate you, your having me as your guest a couple of times. Hey, we appreciate you coming, Rip. We hope we can twist your arm to come back again. It's always a blast. Oh, we'll be there. We'll be there. Everybody, check out Rip's sites, of course, uh, startingstrength.com, and then you can check out the uh, 70s Big site, all that. And uh, Rip, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Anytime. Thank you, Rip. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org. If you're interested in studying diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your team. Also, seek the help of a dietitian, athletic trainers, qualified exercise physiologists, 